Uh, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Clay. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is great to see you guys out here this morning. If you have a couple minutes after the service, especially if I haven't met you, come on up. I'll be hanging out up front. Come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you, get to know you a little bit, and uh, find out what's going on in your life as well. So uh, today, we're going to be looking at uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And in order to get us into that, I want to talk just a little bit about the life of a very famous uh, author from the 20th century, C.S. Lewis. Some of you know him as the man who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Others of you know him maybe from some of his uh, books on theology, like Mere Christianity. When, when we lived in Dallas, we used to drive to Atlanta to go visit relatives, and you know, it was about a 12-hour drive or so, and we would read the Chronicles of Narnia in the car to the kids. And it, they were great kids' books, but they also had some really good truth for adults as well. And so I always enjoyed reading those. C.S. Lewis married late in life, uh, much, much later in life, and his wife's name was Joy. And uh, unfortunately, Joy contracted cancer about a year or so into their marriage, and she died very tragically just a few years later. And uh, some years ago, about a decade or so ago, a movie was made about C.S. Lewis's life and really focusing on his relationship with his wife, Joy, and that movie was called Shadowlands, and it focused on their romance and her death and uh, the aftermath of that as well. And I want to show you a clip from that movie, and the clip begins really uh, at the funeral and uh, continues on for a couple of days after that, and then we'll talk about it in just a minute. So let's take a look at the clip. We therefore commit the body of thy servant Joy to the elements, earth, to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Thank God for your faith, Jack. If only faith makes any sense of times like this, I know. I really do think one or two of us should have gone. Not, we hardly knew the woman. I haven't even seen him for a couple of weeks. I wouldn't say this to Jack, but in the circumstances, better sooner than later. Is he taking it very hard? Yes, I suppose. Rupert, could we have a word together after all? Yes, sir. Evening, Jack. Yeah. I wasn't going to come, but then I thought I would. Life must go on. I don't know that it must, Harry, but it certainly does. I'm sorry, Jack. Thank you, Christopher. We're all deeply sorry, Jack. Thank you, President. Anything I can do? Yes, uh, just don't tell me it's all for the best, that's all. Only God knows why these things have to happen, Jack. God knows, but does God care? Of course. We see so little here. We are not the creator. No. no. We're the creatures, aren't we? We're the, we're the rats in the cosmic laboratory. I've no doubt that the experiment is for our own good, but uh, it still makes God the vivisectionist, doesn't it? Jack. No! It won't do. This bloody awful mess, and that's all there is to it. I'm sorry, Harry. I'm sorry, Christopher. She's not fit company tonight, that's all. God knows, but does God care? And I love that C.S. Lewis was willing to to really be honest and to express the doubt 
that was going on in his heart at that point. He knew he had written a book on the problem of pain, but the intellectual answers of that book and, and all the answers that he knew didn't really comfort him at that time. And so he's just crying out, yes, I know that God knows, but I don't feel that God cares. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have been there at some point or another during our lives, or we will be. We, you know, we're going through the, the loss of a loved one, or we're going through illness ourselves. And, and, and we trust God, but we also wonder, where is he in the middle of that suffering? And, and, and does he really care? And one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it doesn't shy away from those questions. And there are, especially in the Gospels, there's some pretty amazing interactions between Jesus and the people whom he encounters uh, during his life on earth. And we're going to look at one of those in John chapter 11. It's a story about Jesus and a man named Lazarus and Lazarus's friends and Lazarus's family. And Lazarus has become sick and it looks like he's about to die. And the people in the story are dealing with issues like C.S. Lewis was. For example, does God actually care about Lazarus's situation? So let's take a look at that story. And it starts in John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. He loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so he stayed two more days. No, yet he stayed two more days. Or in spite of the fact that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, we would expect that he would stay two more days and delay while his friend Lazarus is sick. But instead, John says, no, because he loved them, he stayed two more days. And you have to ask yourself, what's up with that? How could his love cause him to delay two days when his friend Lazarus is sick? So let's keep that in mind as we're reading the rest of the story and see what, what, uh, what God reveals to us through that. So verse 11, Jesus went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. And if you've been with us this fall over the several weeks that we've been going through the Gospel of John, you see that over and over and over again, Jesus says something that his disciples hear in a physical, non-supernatural way. But over and over again, Jesus is trying to take them a step deeper, sometimes into the spiritual realm, or to help them to see truths that they wouldn't otherwise see. So when he says that Lazarus is asleep, they think that he's actually just physically sick. He's asleep. And Jesus is actually saying, no, it's much deeper than that. He's talking about Lazarus's death. So verse 14, he tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, and watch this one, I'm glad I was not there. Jesus says, I'm glad I wasn't there for your sake, 
so that you may believe. But let's go down to him. Why would Jesus say, I'm glad I wasn't there when my friend, the one whom I love, and I love his sisters, and I care deeply about them? How does that work that he cares about them, yet he's glad that he wasn't there when Lazarus died? Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And I love that interaction between Martha and Jesus. She's like, Lord, why didn't you get here sooner? Because if you had, I know he wouldn't have died. She's expressing what's on her heart and what we'll express silently, but sometimes we're afraid really to say it out loud. Like, Lord, why is my loved one suffering? Why am I sick? Why did so-and-so die? Why did this happen? And yet she's, she's expressing her trust in him as well. And she says, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And, and I just love that, that juxtaposition of her pain mixed with her trust and the honesty with which she's, which she's sharing that. In verse 23, Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Last week, we talked about how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And this week he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And several times throughout the Gospel of John, there are these I am statements. And this particular one, I am the resurrection and the life, is probably the most important of those I am statements. In the immediate context, Jesus is saying that yes, Lazarus is dead, but he's going to rise on the last day. And so Mar that's at least the way Martha hears it at that point. She's thinking in terms of the future that, yes, when, when God consummates his plan in the future, all those who are trusting in him are going to rise from the dead, going to spend eternity with him in heaven. But at another level, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, Whoever believes in me will live even if they die. Jesus is saying that we can have an abundant, fulfilling, meaningful life here on earth that even in spite of the brokenness and the pain and the suffering, we can have comfort and we can have peace and we can have hope now because of what he's going to do then in the future. So, so Jesus is speaking on a couple of different levels here to Martha and he says, all you need to do is believe in me. And Martha says, yes, I do. Verse 27, yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God who has come into the world. She's expressing her trust, her faith in Jesus, recognizing that, that he is who he says he is. And then in spite of the pain that she's going through, and in spite of the fact that she doesn't understand why Jesus delayed, she still trusts him. She's still looking toward him. She still has faith in him. And then a little while later, Martha's sister Mary comes on the scene. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet again, 
another person who's saying, where were you? If you'd been here, you could have healed my brother. Does Jesus really care about Lazarus and his family? Because from a human perspective, if he did, then why didn't he heal Lazarus? Why didn't he show up earlier? And when Jesus, verse 33, saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. And at first glance, it seems like uh, John is talking about Jesus being deeply moved, that he's, he's sad at Lazarus's death. Um, and that's true, but there's something deeper that's going on here. And when John says that Jesus was deeply moved in spirit, he's using a pretty unusual Greek word that's most often used in secular literature of a horse snorting. And so what he's saying is when Jesus was deeply moved, it's like he's, he's crying out, argh, you know, why is it that there is death? This is not the way it's supposed to be. I didn't create the world with the intention that there was going to be suffering, that there was going to be pain, that there was going to be death. And so he's expressing outrage, not just sadness, but outrage at Lazarus's death in particular, but at death in general, because that's not the way he created it to be. And in verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, but maybe one of the most comforting. Jesus wasn't crying because he was afraid he was never going to see Lazarus again. He knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead in just a few minutes. He was crying because Mary and Martha, whom he loved, had lost their brother, and they didn't know that he was going to be raised from the dead in just a few minutes. And so Jesus was sharing their pain. He was empathizing with them. He was feeling the sorrow that they had, and he was with them in that moment. And so he was crying along with them. And God does not promise anywhere in the Bible that we won't suffer on this earth. In fact, he says we will suffer as long as we're here on this earth. But he does promise to be with us in the midst of our suffering, and he does promise to share in our pain and share in our suffering, and he does promise to comfort us in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering. And he entered into our broken world because he loves us, because he cares about us, and because he wants to do something about the pain and the suffering and ultimately the death that we experience as human beings living in this fallen and broken world. In verse 36, the Jews who were with Mary and Martha said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said the same thing again. Could not he who had opened the, blind, the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? He opened the eyes of the blind man. Couldn't he have kept this man from dying? And the answer is absolutely yes, he could have. Maybe he could have gotten there sooner. Maybe he could have healed Lazarus at a distance, but he didn't. And the people are asking this question over and over and over again. Why didn't he do it? In verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved same phrase again, the outrage at death. Jesus came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. If, you, if you're familiar with the old King James Version, it said, by now he stinketh. You know, I love that kind of, you know, that old, that old phrasing there. By now he stinketh, for he's been there for four days. They knew that decay sets in at about three, four days or so. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up toward heaven and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people who are standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And I love what Jesus is doing here. He's praying out loud. He doesn't bow his head and pray silently. He prays out loud, looking up to heaven so that the people around him will know that he's looking to his heavenly father and that what's about to happen is ultimately because his heavenly father is God, because he himself is God and has come from heaven here to rescue us from this broken world. And that's why he prays out loud. He uses that as a teachable moment. In verse 43, when he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out and his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen. A cloth is around his face. He kind of looked like a, you know, a mummy or something. Jesus said to them, take the grave clothes off him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. They saw this amazing miracle that Jesus had done that they had never seen before in their lifetimes. And they believed in Jesus because he raised Lazarus from the dead. So why did Jesus delay? Why did he wait? Why didn't he get there sooner when Lazarus was sick? And again, on the surface, it seems like maybe he didn't care, but there's something deeper uh, going on there. At the end of the story, as I just pointed out, many people believed in him. But if Jesus had gotten there sooner, they might not have believed in him. Because you see, in those days, their understanding was that when a person died, the person's spirit kind of hovered around the body for about three days, waiting to see, is the body really dead? But once decay sets in at the end of the third day, the beginning of the fourth day, the spirit knows that that body is completely dead and there's no going back. And so the spirit departs. If Jesus hadn't delayed two days, he might have gotten there before the decay had begun to set in. And people might have said, wait a second, maybe Lazarus wasn't really dead. Maybe Jesus just revived him or resuscitated him. Maybe he didn't really raise him from the dead. So by delaying, Jesus guaranteed that the people would know that Lazarus was really dead and this was actually a miracle from God and they would believe in him as a result of that. But I think there's even something more going on, something deeper than that. And this one's, this one's harder for us to accept, but as I've thought about it, as I've studied this passage, I think it's really true. By delaying his arrival, Jesus is showing Mary and Martha, Lazarus, the other people around there, by delaying his arrival, Jesus is showing them that there is something better than physical healing. 
And when we're in the midst of the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the sickness, there is nothing in our minds that is better than physical healing. But Jesus is trying to take them beyond their normal experience and their normal lives and say, no, there is something beyond physical healing. I can conquer sickness, and I've done that before. I've healed blind people. I've healed sick people. I want you to see that I can heal the ultimate sickness. I can conquer death. And I think that's the reason why Jesus delayed. If he'd come there sooner and he had healed Lazarus, he would have simply been postponing the inevitable. Lazarus was going to die, whether he died that day, the following week, the following year, or 15, 20, 30 years later, Lazarus was going to die, and we all die. Ultimately, there's a sickness that we'll get that we will die from. But by waiting two days and allowing Lazarus to die, Jesus showed, I can raise the dead. So the next time that Lazarus is on his deathbed, because he was on his deathbed some years later, and he did die because I don't see him here today or anywhere else. He's not with us anymore. And when Mary was on her deathbed, and when Martha was on her deathbed, they could say with confidence, I know Jesus can heal me, and I know he might heal me, but I know that even if he doesn't, He's ultimately going to raise me from the dead, and I'm going to experience life with Him in a place where there is no more sickness, and there is no more pain, and there is no more suffering, and there is no more sorrow, and there is no more crying, and there is no more death. And I know that because when my brother was sick, and Jesus delayed, and I had no clue why he was doing this, and I couldn't understand why he was doing this. When I look back on it now, I realize he was teaching me something, a, a lesson so far beyond what I could have imagined that I'm glad he delayed. Yeah, it was not fun. I hated those four days, but I'm so glad for those four days because I realize that my Redeemer is coming back for me and I'm going to get to spend eternity with Him in a place that is a whole lot better than this earth on which I live. Lazarus and Mary and Martha learned that, that Jesus cared deeply for him, that He had entered into their broken world, that He shared their pain, He shared their suffering, He wanted to comfort them, He wanted to rescue them and that he was going to provide the ultimate comfort, the ultimate peace, and the ultimate rescue in the future. And so when C.S. Lewis asked the question, God knows, but does God care? The answer is absolutely yes. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus would be among the first to say absolutely yes, God cares. They saw Jesus outraged at Lazarus' death and at death in general. They saw Jesus weeping with them as they're going through that pain and that suffering of their loss. But even more than that, even more than that, we have to stop and ask ourselves, why was Jesus in the story in the first place? What was he doing 
in that narrative? Why was he on the earth there in Bethany that day? It's because he as the creator decided, I'm not going to just stay up there in heaven. I'm going to come out of heaven. I'm going to enter into the story. I'm not just writing the story. I'm entering into the story. I'm going to be born. I'm going to live. I'm going to suffer. And Jesus did suffer. And I'm going to feel the pain that the people I love feel. And I'm going to die for them that they could have life. And I'm going to rise again. So the creator wrote himself into the story. Jesus was in the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus precisely because he does care about our pain and our suffering. But he didn't stop there. He raised Lazarus as a preview of his own resurrection, and his resurrection is a guarantee or a promise of our resurrections. So when you put the whole thing together, C.S. Lewis would agree, God absolutely does care. Sometimes we don't feel it. Sometimes we forget it. Sometimes the pain is so strong. But if we keep looking back to the one who wrote himself into the story, we realize that, yes, in fact, he does care because he showed it when he suffered and died and rose again for us. This fall, we've been encouraging you guys to read through the Gospel of John, and some of us have been doing that chapter a day uh, as much as you're able to do that. Some of you have already read through it once or twice. Some of you haven't started it. Let me encourage you, just, just read. Read one chapter a day, move the bookmark. You skip a day, just keep reading. And each week, I've been trying to give you a suggestion of something you can do as you're reading through the Gospel of John to, to not just let your eyes pass over the page. And this week, what I, I want you to do is look for examples of where Jesus showed compassion for people. John chapter 11 is a perfect example of where Jesus showed compassion. Where else did he show compassion, and how did that affect these people's relationship with him? What difference did that make in their lives? But then, especially if you're more familiar with the overall Bible and, and the main storyline of the Bible, maybe you've been through the project, and, and we've talked about it some there, step back and just think about Jesus coming down from heaven to earth, being born as a baby, growing up, living, suffering, dying, rising again. What difference does it make that the author of the story wrote himself into the story so that he could rescue the characters of the story from a plight that really is ultimately our fault? God didn't mess up the world. We did. God doesn't continue to mess it up. We continue to do that. So what difference does it make? How can knowing that comfort us? And then ask God that as you reflect on that and as you reflect on the stories in the Gospel of John where, where Jesus comforts people, ask him to use that to comfort you in whatever situation that you find yourself. Julie and the band are going to come back out now. And uh, Julie has another really beautiful song that she wants to sing for us. And it's a song that captures the hope and the comfort and the peace that we can have in the midst of this broken world, in the midst of the suffering that we go through, captures that hope and that comfort because of what Jesus has done for us. And it's based on an old hymn. If you've been around uh, church for many years, maybe you know the hymn, uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And the author of that hymn wrote it as he was traveling across the Atlantic Ocean and roughly when he reached the place where some weeks earlier his wife had been on a ship and that ship had gone down, 
and she had drowned. And so he wrote this hymn as a prayer to God, recognizing the comfort that he found in Jesus. And so as Julie sings this song, just take some time to to reflect on the words and ask God to, to give you the comfort and the hope and the peace that we all need in the midst of our suffering.